the right thing to focus on is actually the communications between the two co-founders for some statistically relevant reasons. 89% of startups fail. That is, go out of business or merely return investors' capital. So two criteria. Merely return the capital. If you raise a million dollars, you return a million. Or the vast majority of that 89% fail within the first two years. The number one reason for failure is running out of cash. The number one reason for running out of cash is co-founder conflict. The number one way to mitigate co-founder conflict is exquisite, well, strong communication between co-founders. It sets culture. It sets direction. It creates the conditions in which raising capital is enhanced. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Welcome again to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. I'm a co-founder in a startup. This is the most important startup that I'll ever do. One that will be part of the legacy that I leave on this planet. And one that means everything to me. I won't let it fail. I can't. But like all startups and co-founder relationships, this one has its challenges. Maybe this sounds like something you've experienced with your co-founder. You're in the middle of a frenetic and crazy time. The people all around you need your attention, your help, your input. And you're scrambling to line up financing. You're scrambling to find new people to help carry the load, to address the needs of the day, and you lose sight of what matters most. Where you're going, and perhaps most critically, who you are going there with. In the scramble, I got disconnected from my partner and co-founder. And I really felt it yesterday. The weight of yesterday morning, Monday, really was almost too much for me. Like everyone, I was nearly brought to my knees with horror and grief when I learned of the shooting in Las Vegas. And the cold, gray, rainy start didn't really help either. But I realized what was really going on for me as I stood in line at my favorite coffee shop, the rain dripping from my coat and the whir of steamed milk in my ears, when a simple Slack message came from a colleague and vibrated my phone. How are you? They asked. Tears began to stream down my face. I feel out of sync with my partner, I wrote. A few more tears. That landed like a thud. That was it. My most important work, my most important startup, is not actually Reboot. It's my family. You're my most important and foundational connection. My most important relationship, my most important co-founder, is my wife. And in our crazy time with two kids, three and under, in the process of closing on a new house, trying to pack and prepare the move out of our current home. Busy and fulfilling careers, we lost briefly what holds all of this together, us. All startup problems are people problems, and all people problems are communication problems. And my wife and I had simply not been able to communicate clearly in the hectic time. We did sneak off for lunch yesterday, and once again found ourselves in sync reminding ourselves who we are and who we are together, reconnecting on our shared purpose and our path, our trust and our love. Aaron and T are no strangers to the importance of deep connection while in pursuit of doing meaningful work. As co-founders of the therapy platform Kip, they know firsthand the importance of introspective work and also have tremendous emotional awareness of both themselves and each other. But like all of the best relationships, they too can have challenges with how they connect and communicate. And like all founders, they can struggle to find the time to really understand each other. And like my wife and I, in the busyness of the days and the weeks, they too can fall out of sync. In this conversation with Jerry, they explore how two people with a shared purpose can still see things very differently at times, and how each of them can better hear and support the other, and how to make sure the core of the company their relationship stays strong. What is the number one reason 89% of startups fail? The answer and the potential solution may really surprise you. Enjoy. 
My colleague Andy Christinger often compares the role of people ops leaders to that of minister or priest in a faith community. As a former pastor himself, he sees in the leaders we work with that their time and energy are spent thinking about things like how to support individuals in their own development, how to be there for people during their tough times, and how to cultivate a healthy and vibrant organization. Unfortunately, the other similarity he sees between the two roles is the danger for burnout. Here's the key question. Who helps the helpers? Who takes care of the caretakers? We created the Fall Reboot Weekend for HR and People Ops leaders, which is happening October 27th through 29th in San Francisco, to provide a place where those who are tasked with leading healthy organizational communities can come together in a safe space to focus on their own leadership growth. Here's one of our People Ops Circles alumni, John Greenfield, talking about his experience. I'm John Greenfield, and I lead people operations and business development here at Psychic. So the Circles experience as a whole has been great. I feel like I've met a number of people that I wouldn't have otherwise and have incredible insight to share. One of the neat things is that bringing all these people together in, in similar roles, and it's been neat to see how really how much of a connection you can feel with, with people over a short period of time. And I think that's grounded in the fact that the circles were designed in a way that people who have similar experiences and are facing similar challenges are brought together. So it's sort of like we, we already had a common language that we were, that we were speaking. Are you a people ops leader who loves some time to focus on your own growth? Or perhaps you're saying to yourself, I can't have needs or challenges. It's my job to take care of others' problems. Wherever you happen to be, you don't have to do this alone. Join us for the fall weekend in San Francisco. To apply, go to our website at reboot.io slash circles. That's reboot.io slash circles. Hey, Aaron. Hey, T. Really great to meet you and uh, get a chance to talk. And I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks for having us. Sure. Why don't we take a minute um, and just, I'll, as I usually do, ask each of you to introduce yourself, give us your name, rank, serial number, your name, title, <laughs> and uh, tell us what KIPP is. I'm Erin. I am the CEO of KIPP. That means I do all the random things that need to get done to make this company run sometimes, including getting tissues for therapists. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And T. I'm T. I'm in charge of, I'm the other co-founder of KIPP. I'm in charge of all the technical things and the product decisions at KIPP. Um, and I make sure the servers don't spontaneously self-combust. <laughs> <laughs> A very important job. <laughs> that piece of it by itself, especially in light of all the tears that may be shed. <laughs> and, and, and what does KIPP do? Um, so we think of ourselves, we're a full service, full stack therapy service, and we provide mental health service that's measurable and outcomes driven and evidence based. Mm -hmm. And we offer, we take care of the whole process of answering, sort of solving the two problems people often have when looking for mental health services, which is how do you find a high quality provider? And most importantly, how do you know that your treatment is actually working? Mm -hmm. So we both have a curated um, network of high quality therapists practicing evidence-based therapies and the latest cutting edge methods. And we also give you the tools to measure your outcomes and track that you are making progress and you're indeed getting better and improving. Now, this is super exciting. As you know, I, uh, I've been very open with my own journeys around mental health issues and um, it's a, it's an important theme uh, in everything that we do. And um, as I've, I've been clear about what one of the more important things, and I think you'd, you'd agree with this, one of the more important things is to talk with honesty about our experiences so that we can destigmatize the experience of seeking help. Um, I, I always find it fascinating that if you have the flu, you don't feel ashamed for going to the doctor to get a shot. Um, but somehow, because there are mental health issues and and they are still health issues, we we stigmatize the experience of it. But we'll 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 cycle back to that um, in a moment. 
Tell me what would be helpful to, to talk about today. Gosh, everything in a startup. Um, I think communication, communication is always the one. I think it's a constant challenge that comes up in running a company every time you have a, a factor change. When it's you add a new employee, you start working with a contracting company, which we started doing for some growth work. Um, it just throws everything out <laughs> into like, It just changes the, every process and you have to then learn and tweak and I think that's where a lot of the issues arise, at least for us have, um, that's where a lot of the issues have come up and then we need to constantly like be aware of and change it. T, so what, would you, what yeah. would you say with regard to that? Um, so I think of it in terms of writing code where when you start out, you're the only person working on it and you sort of are intimately familiar with all the gibberish that you might've written, even if it's not the highest quality things. And then as more hands um, touch it, you have to learn how to communicate a little bit better and more clearly about what every piece of the thing that you're working on is actually doing um, because you can't just rely on your own repository of knowledge in your head to make it run anymore. I love that analogy. Uh, I'm going to steal it and use it to describe other <laughs> Um, so what I'm hearing is that there's this phenomena that, that happens and has happened, which is that as the company has grown and established itself, what you're finding is that uh, the ability to clearly um, communicate and stay in sync as an organization gets undermined. And, and like code, right, because like any other language, when if I'm a coder and I write code, I have a dialect in my code. And all of a sudden, that code matches this other code, and we're putting it together because we're building a system. Except that it kind of the transitions between the two dialects don't really work. Am I naming it right, T? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. You speak fairly close to the same language, but it's just a little bit different, and that's where you can have miscommunications and things sort of not quite falling apart a little bit. Uh, and Erin, you're smiling. I am. And partly because T, one of the reasons this company has been such a good and fun journey is that T and I are very different. And so we have these different skill sets, but then when you get to communication with different skill sets and different personalities, just how we work together, it just, it so easily clashes and you're both learning how to, you know, communicate more effectively, but then also how to grow as a person to communicate differently mm. so that you meet the needs of the other person. It's not just about, you know, learning to communicate effectively, it's, but how do I effectively communicate, but also with that person's needs in mind? And do I need to change a little bit in this way that's uncomfortable so that the other person has um, an easier time? So notice what's happening right now. And uh, notice what's happening for each of you right now. And T, how are you feeling as Aaron was speaking? Um, is, is it the right word to say that I feel very cared for? Because um, ah, I think sure. working with Aaron, this has always been both a point of, um, what do you call it, warm fuzzies and also frustration at times where I'm like, Aaron. I appreciate it, but you don't always have to be taking care of me and holding my hand. It's okay. You can just, um, you know, you, you can take a step back and think about yourself a little bit and that's okay. Yeah. 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 So, so notice that. And Aaron, how did you feel when I stopped you and brought it to tea? I expected her to say that. Oh, so <laughs> that's because I've been... Yeah, because we've worked on this. <laughs> right. And so, so how does it feel? Because that was an expectation. How does it feel hearing it again? I think it feels, it felt good. I appreciated the positive. And I also appreciate the reminder of, wait, step back. I don't have to do all the things I usually try to do. <laughs> so any shame or guilt or... No, but that was Go ahead. No, no shame, but partly because I've worked, I've been working on this issue consistently. Okay. okay. Um, okay. So but there was shame. And I think there was, be. there used yeah. to be shame, maybe still a little bit of, oh, I did it again. 
Yeah. You know, like I definitely have those moments where that's where like all of these things we work on are practice, right? And so yes. there are always moments when I do something and I go, oh, I thought too much about what she was thinking in that moment or yeah. wait, catch myself. And I'm no longer, I think, especially when I'm in a like very much work mode, busy mode, I don't have time to dwell on it. So I go, okay, stop. Don't care about it. Just, you know, that's probably not the best way, okay. but you know, so don't worry about I, it. But. I, I'm, I'm going to use a real coaching technique and start to interrupt even a lot. Right. Um, and it's great. Cause as a guy from Brooklyn, I have this like mental excuse why it's okay to interrupt people. So, <laughs> um, so what I heard you say before, Aaron, was that you, there's this striving that you have, which is to be effective in your communications and for those communications to be well heard. Is that, is that a fair description? I think, yes, well heard, but also so that they're relevant. Uh-huh. I think um, probably from my past experiences working with many engineers on a small team um, and having to learn a new language, basically, and a new communication technique of, okay, you triage things. You don't just tell people things. You have an order of operations in which first you, like, is it a high-level thing to share? Should I share it in Slack or as a bug report, et cetera? I think I'm maybe hyper-aware of, trying to learn this new language to speak effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have, there's probably an element of perfection in there, but I do care a lot about, am I wasting that person's time? Am I bothering right. them so, too much? So I'm going to bring our attention to a larger context here, which was that um, we, we began by talking almost a theoretical intellectualized concept of as the company grows, how do we maintain effective communications within it? And quickly, and partially because I led us there, we ended up in a conversation about the two of you communicating. And that, I just want to name that. So you both just nodded because remember, we're just recording the audio. And, and uh, T, I want to check in with you. Does that feel like that's what happened just now? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. And Aaron, that felt like what happened. Right. So I want to, I'm going to play a little bit. Why did we end up talking about the two of you? They probably because at this stage of our company, the communication and ability for us to work together as leaders is, is the most important thing. That's and it's right. been the cause of probably all of the major issues or hiccups have all at the root cause been something happened in our chain of communication, in our understanding of what the other person said that then led us down some random path. And right now we're at that point of growth where it really can't be that like, like the, 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 those communications are, aren't as easily fixed because we're working with too many other people. We're working, we have higher, um, there's a higher cost to things not working because then someone we hired works on something incorrectly or a timeline is moved. That's actually crucial. T, how are you feeling as, as Aaron's speaking? Um, I was more digesting, sort of thinking about this whole, um, communications thing and how it does start with, um, the founders and how it radiates out from there and the sort of mistakes and misunderstandings that can come when there's even just a tiny breakdown in communication sometimes. Um, it reminds me of, um, a little bit of this, um, there was this online simulation called the evolution of trust where they're basically playing that prisoner's dilemma game. And, you know, do you choose to copy what the person did or do you choose to do something different in terms of, you know, how you act in this prisoner's dilemma problem and how in, when a communication breaks down, even just once that could cause the whole system to just fall apart and, um, detangle. And that's what I was thinking about just now. And it's, um, it's fascinating. I, I, I could not agree with both of you more. And in fact, the right thing to focus on is actually the communications between the two co-founders for some statistically relevant reasons. 89% of startups fail. That is go out of business or merely return investors capital 
So two criteria, merely return the capital. If you raise a million dollars, you return a million. Or the vast majority of that 89% fail within the first two years. The number one reason for failure is running out of cash. The number one reason for running out of cash is co-founder conflict. The number one way to mitigate co-founder conflict is exquisite, well, strong communication between co-founders. It sets culture. It sets direction. It creates the conditions in which raising capital is enhanced. Let's put it this way. I have seen co-founders who regularly fight, including a pair who fist fight. But most fighting co-founders must end up resolving the relationship by splitting. Okay. And I know a little bit about your background, so I have a feeling that there's a deep sense of purpose behind this company for each of you. Okay, and don't worry, I'm not going to make you cry. But it would be tragic, especially because of what you've sacrificed. I don't even have to know. I just know you've sacrificed. You're two incredibly intelligent women who have a mountain of choices available to you. And you've chosen to try to do the impossible, which is to launch a business. Okay, not quite impossible, only an 89% chance of failure, right? It would be tragic if that failed in part because the ability to be with each other was undermined. So focusing on this, get this right, establish this as a cultural norm, and then it'll flow. Does this make sense? Totally. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and in the past, when we've had conflicts, probably the biggest problem with conflicts is that you often don't have time to resolve them in a really effective way. I very much um, empathize with that statement of are in a conflict, but you're like, okay, let's just move on. On to the next thing. we got to keep walking forward. There's no time to stop and take a break and analyze it. Easy to fall into that. What's the problem with that? Let's put it this way. You have this big honking elephant in the room. And you choose not to resolve it because you're too busy figuring out the product strategy. How effective a thinker will you be? Gravity. I mean, back, back to <laughs> affinity for analogies. It's kind of like, you know, you have this desire to just keep marching on and moving forward. But it's sort of like every time you run into one of these conflicts and you don't resolve it, it's kind of like you accumulated mud on your shoes, but you never scrape them off. So they just get heavier and heavier over time and they slow you down as you walk. My God, she's a poet. That's a better analogy than my elephant in the room. That's right. In fact, can we change the mud to a big steaming pile of shit? Sure. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're famous for an exercise we call red, yellow, green, where we get people to start meetings with this red, yellow, green. And a former boot camper and great, great CEO named Bart Larang wrote a big, a, a beautiful blog piece about this. And we've written a lot about it. Uh, my co-founder Ali's uh, newsletter speaks to it, uh, the most recent newsletter. Here's why it's so important of recognizing what's going on. The feelings behind it, and Aaron, this is important for you to, to, to internalize because of the work you're doing with your therapist. The feelings do not go away even if we stop talking about it, right? Yep. <laughs> the feelings actually like tease mud on the bottom of your shoes, just grow. And your ability to slog through and make decisions is actually impeded. So even though it's counterintuitive, it's only counterintuitive because the anxiety of getting shit done is so large 
that we convince ourselves that, and now I'm going to quote you, Aaron, we don't have time to resolve this right now. Actually, you have no, nothing to do but to resolve this. Now, resolving may take a few days. That doesn't mean you don't make decisions during those few days. But one of the things you want to do in those moments is acknowledge that we're going to come back to something. That we just hit a steaming pile of elephant shit. And we need to come back to it. Are you good to come back to it? I'm good to come back to it. All right. Are we good? Are we good? Yep, we'll come back to it. When are we coming back to it? Great. And when we come back to it, can we make sure that we've done some a little bit of processing internally before we come back to it? Do you hear the language in there? Yeah. Yeah, you're both nodding. How does it feel when I, na- when I name these things? Feels on point. Right. So we were talking before about the dialect difference between two different wired people who come together for complementary reasons. Lord knows we don't need two CTOs. Lord knows we don't need two CEOs, right? We each play our position. And, and T, you're a great CTO because of who you are. Aaron, you're a great CEO because of who you are, including your dialect and the way you communicate with each other. But those, those, those points of overlap are really, really key. How, how many employees do you have? We have two employees and 15 therapists. Okay, so, so, so you're communicating with the therapist on a regular basis. Yep. Have you ever communicated different things? The two of you, have you ever sent different messages? Either to contractors or to investors or... sometimes i'm sure we have i mean on the receiving end if they're skilled they'll make sense of it just like children will make sense of different messages that they receive from their parents because parents are wired differently each individual is wired differently but as the company grows the potential for mixed messages differing messages will start to grow and so for you, the, the, the goal for you is, is not to, how do we always stay in alignment? But how do we, with resiliency, return to an aligned position when we stumble or when we quite naturally, not negatively, come at things from different perspectives? How do we reconnect? To use a phrase, Does that feel on point? You're both nodding. We are nodding. I think uh, one of the real positives of having a shared purpose with Kip and having it be so deep and passionate is that that has helped us through some of these times where we've had conflicts and not, not taking the time to resolve them quickly enough is that we've always had the same goal. I'm super happy to hear that. How does it help you? And maybe it's both that and the trust we have in each other to be making the right decision. It helps us in that we then, um, we've made the, you know, you never know if you make the best decision, but we've made good decisions. We've, um, you know, when there's a problem, we'll delegate it and someone will fix it. I think there's not as much, um, even when there's conflict, we have the trust and and the other person to say, okay, you know, I'll let go and let you resolve it. And we'll just work through that. It doesn't, it doesn't become this kind of constant conflict that just never goes away. Um, it's still there. The mud is still there, but it's not T you better analogy. <laughs> what is the analogy I'm trying to explain here? <laughs> I think so how I view this is when you have that trust in each other, that you both have the same end goal, the same intentions, the same purpose and drive is that you're trying to get to that same destination. And maybe from where you're standing, you see two slightly different paths there. And 
when you're in the weeds of it, it's sometimes hard to realize that the other person is trying to go to the same place as you, um, just by a slightly different path. But then when you pull back and remember that, then you can talk through, why do you think this is a better path um, versus the other? And having that trust that you're both going to the same place is really helpful um, in sort of negotiating those paths together. What I heard is um, the shared sense of purpose and remembering that shared purpose. And that's key, is remembering that purpose, that sharing of purpose, creates a basis of trust. So when the frustration or the confusion or the disappointment that can arise when miscommunication occurs or misalignment even occurs, by being able to return to, oh, wait, wait, this is T. No, oh, no, no, this is Aaron. And Kip is so important to Aaron because of the story that I know about her. And because of that, I know that even though I don't like what she said or how she said something, I can still trust her. Am I naming that well? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think what we've just extracted is something really important. That good functional communication between partners is actually really rooted in trust, in shared experiences, in openness and vulnerability. Because I can't know that this is really important to you unless you've shared openly and vulnerably with me that this is, in fact, important to you, to me. Right? Yeah. There's another aspect here, which I think it's, it's important to get to. And we once did a podcast with, with um, a beautiful couple from a group called the Center for Collaborative Awareness. It's called the Blueprint of We. And, the, and one of the basic messages of co-founder communications here is to really understand ourselves and to be able to communicate that to the other. So I want to play a little game with us, okay? Okay. T, when Erin yes. gets scared, what does she do? Be real. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> she sort of holds her breath a little bit. Um, and then you hear this like sudden exhale and then inhale as if she's catching her breath. <laughs> mm. And, and uh, how quickly will she share with you that she's afraid? Um, depends on the day. I would say sometimes um, she'll say it sometimes requires a little bit of nudging and sometimes you outright have to say, this is what I'm sensing from you. Is that true? Mm. So you can lead her along. Erin, um, how did T do? T did pretty well. So here, so, so now watch. Erin, when T gets angry, what does she do? Oh, geez. Or frustrated. We can soften the word a little bit. She's actually really direct. Um, Does she become so, more or less direct or is it the same? She's direct. She doesn't raise her voice. Because when I get frustrated, sometimes I'll raise my voice and she'll check in with me and say, Aaron, you're raising your voice. And I'll say, no, I'm not. And then I'll realize <laughs> I'm raising my voice and then I'll stop raising my voice. Right. Um, right. So she's actually quite direct. Uh. Uh, there, there are generally speaking two places in which we speak from. We either speak from the back of our throat or from our belly. You know that, that, that feeling? I'm going to speak from my belly. I'm going to speak from the back of my throat. You hear the difference? <laughs> right? Yep. So, so when T gets frustrated or angry, is she speaking from the back of her throat or from her belly? I think from her belly. Does that feel right, T? Yeah, I think I think Karen's right. Yeah, T's very very emotionally aware, and there, there, there's a there's a settling in, which is T's way to deal with whatever the threat is that has created the anger. What do you mean you shifted the deadlines? What do you mean? Like sometimes people will even slow down. Sometimes people will stop breathing. 
So notice, not only is the dialect between the two of you different, but the way you respond to things that would trigger your fight or flight mechanism is slightly different. Because I bet you we can reverse this. We don't have too much time to do this, but right, um, T could describe uh, uh, Aaron when Aaron gets angry, and Aaron could describe T when T gets afraid. Right, just like you can you can describe when you're sad, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're stressed. Right now, I'm bringing your attention to this. So this is another aspect of your communications uh, toolbox. You know each other. You know each other. Now, sometimes when we're really frustrated or scared. We may know the person, but we don't want to pay attention to the fact that we know the person. <laughs> right? So now watch. When T is frustrated, Erin, what's the best way to approach her? I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, yeah, but beautiful. <laughs> to be honest, um, but usually it's with calm logic and just talking you know talking through things if they're needed right so if it's not you, needed not to talk <laughs> so, so let me give you let me give you um some shorthand should you be, be speaking from your belly or the back of your throat definitely my belly t would that work well for you definitely definitely <laughs> so t i understand that you're angry is that right you see what i'm, I'm talking about T, what else can you tell Aaron about approaching you when you're frustrated? Um, what advice would you give her? Yeah, I think in those moments, I respond to calm and definitely belly talking and logic of if you break it down into this irrefutable logic for me, then that has a very um, strong effect in getting me back on track and calming me down. What if it's logical, but it's not quite irrefutable? Um, that works too. Um, I think it, it is a tall order to ask for it to be always irrefutable. Um, Thank think, you for recognizing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think logical definitely helps. Um, I think it's sort of when you're angry, it's you're very much tapping into the more emotional, impulsive parts of your brain and forcing yourself to think through um, reason and logic. Even just that process helps to break out of that sphere and be able to talk through things and um, approach it in a more reasonable manner. I, I, I love the, the expression here, and I love what's happening here. T, um, I just want to uh, bring your attention to pronouns. And in, the, and in the description that you said, you said you, and you were describing for, you know, a kind of universal thing. And I want to acknowledge and create space for the fact that everybody is different. That's true. What I really mean is me. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that is a-okay to say, this is what I need. Okay. And this is the way, this is the best way to approach me. I, what I will say is that I imagine that this is probably the best way that you'll approach others when you find them being angry because it works for you. That is probably true. Right. So now let's try something. When Erin is afraid, what's the best way to approach her? Um, I think similarly, I'm figuring it out. My general approach is um, I think it's easy to project ourselves onto other people. Um, and my, Go to the head of the class. She figured that one out. And my general approach is in this calm, logical um, demeanor. But um, I think my hunches um, with Aaron sort of acknowledging and empathizing with what might be causing fear is actually more effective um, in making her feel 
that she's being listened to and that her feelings are being acknowledged. Uh, how does that feel, Erin? That, that feels very accurate um, with the addition of, in addition to the acknowledgement, I often need something to either remind me that I have the ability to get through whatever I'm scared of or to like get that kind of confidence tick back up. Whatever's scaring me, just this reminder, um, T often goes, you've got this. And for whatever reason, when people text me, you've got this, I've had advisors text me that. Just that little additional phrase, <laughs> you've got this reminds me that I can do it. And so absolutely, the, what I usually want when I'm scared is a little bit of empathy and understanding with the addition of a little confidence boost. Mm. T, is, does that feel like something that you can meet? Generally, yes. I think what sometimes makes this difficult is um, we sometimes will end up in these states simultaneously where I'm frustrated and Aaron is afraid. So we very much tap into how we would respond to ourselves. Yes, yes. So when we're distressed, which covers both fear and anger, we regress to our most basic response mechanisms. So when we're distressed, we regress, okay? The way we want to break that cycle is to remember who we are, remember what we're about, go back to the trust if possible. If we can't in the moment, we separate and come back. And we can look at each other and say, I'm leaving, but I will be back. So we don't trigger abandonment in the other person right? And then we come back and we think about, T, T made this, this really uh, wonderful connection, which is that this can work except if I'm also in a triggered state. And the thing to remember about both fear and frustration is that they're actually rooted in a very similar experience. T, when you're frustrated, what is it that you uh, are frustrated most often about? Hmm. Most often about. Or is there a common denominator to the, to the stories, to the times of frustration? I think I get frustrated when things don't seem to make sense. And what's, what's so frustrating about things not making sense? <laughs> Um, it's an interesting question. Um, so things don't make sense. What's the consequence of things not making sense? I think I try to build a model of the world at every step of the way, everywhere I'm going. And when things don't make sense, I don't know how to model it. Right. And I find that there's a basic understanding that maybe I'm missing. And when you, when you realize that, you are, that your logic is flawed, maybe even refutable, and that your mental model isn't perhaps as accurate as you'd like, how does it feel? Frustrating. <laughs> what if it turns out that you were wrong? What's at stake in being wrong? Um, a lot, right? Um, all the work that you've put in so far, um, all that you've invested in it, in whatever direction you were moving in. Would you say that you are concerned that the work you put in? Um, there's generally a moment just before the anger flashes. And it's a kind of realization moment. What's that moment? Um, I suppose it could be a moment of, you know, when there's a lot at stake and you're wondering if you were moving in the right direction after all. Um, and, you know, having that fear of, did you just waste all of this time and effort? What word did you just use? Fear. What word does Aaron use more readily? 
So this, this is the point. Yoda said it. Two emotions that are there. Love and fear. Anger almost always, except anger at injustice, and even that has a quality of fear. Frustration is often a response to fear. Are you telling me that I just wasted my time is both an expression of anger and the fear that I wasted my time. Are you telling me that we're not going to hit this deadline or that, what did you say before, that this server is, is going to uh, uh, self-combust? <laughs> right? That's my fear is that the server is going to crash. But really the fear is that what's going to happen to T if everything you thought was true about the world turned out to be false. Holy shit. At a minimum, I'm going to have to go back to square one and create a whole new mental model of the world. Yeah. And at worst, maybe I've been wrong. And that's a really scary thought. Does this have any resonance? Yeah. So the reason I'm hanging out with this, because Aaron's been very clear, and also with a lot of the energy, we can, we can know clearly that this anxiety is there. But in the dialects that you each carry, not only do you have a shared sense of purpose, but you have a shared sense of fear. Holy shit, what if this whole thing collapses? What if we were wrong? What if this has all been a waste of time? Do you feel it? Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. I bring your attention to this fact because sometimes, because we outwardly manifest things, we are convinced that we're so different. In fact, that was one of the first things you said to me. Sorry, let me tell you, we're so different. But what I see are two brilliant women who give a shit about something really important and differently fight the good fight for something really important. Now you tell me if I'm crazy. Is what I'm seeing true? Sums it up pretty well. Yeah, that's what started this really. Shared conversation about the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about trust right now? Pretty darn good. <laughs> right. Right. So now I'm crying a little bit too. You said I good. wouldn't cry. <laughs> I tried. I didn't ask you about your parents. But what we did was we reinforced this sort of bridging here. Right. And I want to bring your attention back to this sort of shared knowledge of I know this person. Oh, I know this person, right? The, the level of emotional intelligence that each of you have is really off the charts. And I want to congratulate both of you. And Aaron, you got this. <laughs> right? I can't guarantee you that this company is going to succeed, but I can guarantee you, you can have one hell of a ride as you try. And you can make a dent in the world, regardless of the outcome of this company, by trying. Because trying matters, especially in the realm in which you're operating. And now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> so before we wrap, is there anything that 
you'd like to add or say as we start to wind down here? I think that last point you made really resonated. Aaron and I do talk um, often with each other that regardless of the outcome, we'll either make this work and build the better world that we want to see. And if we can't and we're going down, we'll at least make a really big splash on the way down. That's right. That's right. And the thing is, I'll speak like the older guy that I am here, okay, the elder. You don't get just one bite at the apple. This is a lifelong journey you're on. I can't tell you the number of entrepreneurs I've known over, oh my God, I'm going into my third decade of doing this. Where two, three times, just yesterday, I was talking to a guy I met when he was 21. He's 44 now. And I found him at Internet World, which is a show that existed before you guys were even born. And um, he... uh, He's on his fourth company in the same space, two of which succeeded wildly, two of which failed, or one of them failed. And now he's on his fourth. Right? We get up and we keep going. That's resiliency. So I want to thank you both. It's an honor to be with people like you guys. It really is. Thank you, Jerry. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. My name is John Prendergast. I am CEO of Blue Leaf. I was doing some research on CEO peer groups, found an article on Reboot, and it's been great. So real relationships that were built. And then we wound up having extemporaneous conversations. And, you know, it's been incredibly supportive. It's really helped with insights into me as a, as a leader and helped with insights in my business that I wasn't expecting. Want to experience more conversations like these in your life? Consider joining a Reboot Circle. Our Circle's participants have called their circle their secret weapon. You'll gain more self-awareness, and you'll know you're not alone in the challenges you face day to day. You'll find the same level of self-inquiry in a coach-facilitated cohort with six other leaders just like you. Apply at reboot.io circles.